what's up? My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in to the GT Young Adults Podcast. We're a community, a part of GT Church in Victoria, BC. We love Jesus and have a passion to learn and live like him and have a ton of fun doing it. All of the messages and conversations you find here will point you to his truth and his hope, so lean into whatever God wants to speak to you today. Enjoy what you're about to hear, and thanks for listening. Good evening, church. (laughs) Um, So for anybody who doesn't know me, my name is Delmar. I get to be a volunteer here at GT and specifically here at The Six. And that has been my privilege and my pleasure for the last, like, since we started this thing. Um, So I friggin' love that Lucas trusts me enough with this mic to see me up here. Clearly, he doesn't trust me enough to be here with us as I do whatever it is that I'm going to do, but appreciate it nevertheless. Um, For real, though, I just want to take a moment here to really just appreciate the leadership that carves out this space and this opportunity. I know that Jackson was able to speak last week, and what a beautiful thing. And the fact that I get to be up here as well to do this, that's something that I really, really do appreciate. And so the fact that we serve underneath the leadership of Lucas and on top of that, um, Andy and Lisa, the fact that they would carve out the space to raise us up, to see this stuff in the both of us and just to carve out this space so that we can do what it is that we believe that God is doing in our lives and in this community. So really just wanted to start off with a big thank you to our leadership because they're so good. Um, Are you guys excited for tonight? (laughs) Um, So what I have here, and I will just um, say in advance, I am definitely more of a student than I am a speaker. So pardon me while I sit down and sit on my laptop. Um, but this is how I know how to communicate, and I know that this is stuff that I'd like to do diligence to, and I know that God is doing something good. He's doing something very good in this place. He's doing something very good in this city, and he's doing something very good in each of our lives, Um, and that's something that I want to stand by and that I am very excited that I get to be even just a small part in. So um, I am going to be speaking from Ephesians, continuing on with this, uh, with our series about walking the Christian walk. Um, And the portion of text that I have to speak on is Ephesians 5, 1 to 7. And so before we really dive into it, I would just love to pray. So if you would bow your heads with me for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for creating us for giving us everything that you have and for bringing us here today in this place. Thank you for not missing a beat, for not letting anything go past your sight. And thank you for having such a firm grip on everything, God, for we know that you are the one who is in control. We love you, Lord, and we are so thankful for the love that you have given us in Christ and for the chance to come here together and to celebrate you, to worship you, to give you the glory, Lord God, and to learn just a little bit more about who you are and how you love us so extravagantly. And so would you speak to us tonight? Would you open our hearts? Would you open our eyes? Would you do what only you can do so that we walk out of here not the same? In your holy name we pray, amen. 
All right, so let's get into it. Um, so I am just going to go ahead and read this whole section of verses, verses uh, 1 to 7. So Paul is speaking to, actually, sorry, really brief recap. I know Lucas has been mentioning this point every time, and I just want to remind everybody here who has been here for the last little bit, Ephesians is a book that Paul wrote. The first three verses of it, he goes through basically the theology, and the last three chapters, he goes through the practical aspects of how we live this theology out. So we're at the beginning of chapter five, which means we're right smack dab in the middle of practical, this is what it means to be a Christian, this is how we live this stuff out. So chapter five, verses one to seven, Paul says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So like a pretty fun set of verses, I think. <laughs> um, so we are gonna spend some time in this. Basically the way that it seems to present itself pretty directly is at, we've got the first two verses where Paul is telling us to walk in love. And then he takes the next five verses to basically go, if we're gonna walk in love, that means we're not gonna do da da da, da. we're not gonna sin. Um, so, Coming back to the seven verses, what we see is Paul breaking his commands into these two sections. The first, the positive command to walk in love. The second, it's sort of inverse, the command to not walk in sin. So these two commands together are essentially two sides of the same coin. Paul is telling us that to walk in love, it means not to walk in sin and that these two are inescapably linked together. And so if we wanna do any diligence of what it means to walk in love, then that means that we have to talk about the negative side of that. We have to talk about what it means to not live in sin. So this dynamic right here is what I want to explore with you guys tonight. And for the purpose of understanding how we can walk out of here tonight and not only be encouraged, but practically, very practically set up to walk in love. And so I'm just going to give you the breakdown here of what my plan is to do. Um, I have no cards, there is no show-stopping moment. Um, the Bible is the Bible, and I also write essays more than I write uh, sermons. So I'm just gonna go in this essay, I'm gonna da 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 So um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna get into this tension between the two. Um, what I would really love to talk about, and what I will, haha, <laughs> because I have the mic, um, what I'm going to talk about for about 10 minutes or 15 minutes is we're going to talk about sin. And there's like three or four people here in this room who have talked to me about my interest in sin over the last year plus who maybe just eye-rolled. Um, but this has been a subject that has really changed my life and that I think really warrants spending some serious time with because 
it's really, I have found in my life, it is easy to talk about love, but if we don't do diligence to talking about sin, then it becomes way too easy to talk about love in a way that just feels cheap and in a way that just too easily flits to the side and then we go, yeah, 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 general vague affirmation and then just keep walking in our same way. And the reality is that Jesus Christ died for us. He died for our sins. Like, that's why we're gathered here today, you know? Love is an immensely beautiful thing and it's as beautiful as it is because it covers over our sins. And so if we don't understand what that means, then what otherwise would be this beautiful, rich adoration of God and his love, it tends to not hit those really deep, rich notes that it can. And so my hope here today is to speak to that so that hopefully we can walk out of here with just a little bit better of an understanding, a little bit broader of a view of what that means and to know our place within that and how God's love is really real and rich in our lives and how he changes and transforms us. So is that okay? Sick. Okay, we're gonna do that. Then after talking about sin, we're gonna come right back to Paul and we're gonna talk about what it means to walk in love. We're gonna re-engage into this tension and I'm gonna finish off with a really practical walk away thing that I think everybody can take with them for the week upcoming. Because who here knows that church isn't just, uh, the Christian walk isn't just like two hours on a Sunday. It's the, the every day of the week, every hour of the day, we serve the same God day in, day out, hallelujah, right? So without further ado, um, I would love to start chatting a little bit about sin. Um, so rhetorical question, uh, please nobody answer this. Uh, when you think about sin, what do you think about? Do you think about your actions? Do you think about morality or about God's moral law? Do you think about the world or about relationships? Um, sometimes I think about the driving an old stolen car with one of those old bank robber guns with the round clip on the front with a cigar in my mouth. Maybe just me. <laughs> but I'm guessing that while some of those things may cross some of your minds when you think about sin, that none of them are probably the first thing that comes up. And I would guess that if you're anything like me, that when you think about sin, one of the first things that comes to mind, whether it's an active thing or whether it's just a feeling, is guilt and shame. And now, these are two subjects that are rich and that are worth spending more time on that I'm not gonna do today, but I think that they're important to point out because I think they play a really important role in each of our lives and our own experiences with sin. Part of that experience is the fact that both of these things, guilt and shame, tend to cause us to turn inwards, to look at ourselves as separated from everything else, and while introspection and self-awareness are very good things, especially when it comes to things of God, it can become way too easy to get isolated in that place and to sit with those heavy burdens on our own. And this isolated part is a bit of what I wanna talk about. So I think quite broadly, it's quite fair to say that in the Western church today, we tend to have a rather individualistic view of sin. And this is really kind of what I wanna be talking about to start. We understand that sin is a matter of actions and of personal responsibility. We got that. We understand that our actions affect others and that they can be in, and our actions can be either in alignment and obedience with God or in disobedience. 
But what I think we often fail to see is the broader scope, and in a sense, the larger biblical story that we're all a, an active part of, in which sin plays a really important role. And so the first thing that I wanna point out is that I am not trying to take away the significance from what we know of sin and this individualistic aspect and the fact that it is a responsibility that each of us hold. It's important that we keep that. But when we look at the Bible and the whole story that it presents, what we see often involves more than just that. And it is a bit more interesting than merely a bunch of individuals. This is the Bible. Um, it's a bit more interesting than a story of a bunch of individuals who are struggling with their own individual sins as separated from everybody else. What we see is a story of God's people, a nation, Israel, full of complicated people who are wrestling and struggling to obey God and who often, very, who very often fail to do so. At the end of the day, we all know that what we see in the Bible is a story of God's redemption. That's why we're here in this place, because we know that it ends with Jesus Christ. It's the story of humanity being so unable to deal with our own sin that he sent his own son to deal with it himself once and for all. This is the story that we are a part of, and it's the story that I wanna dive into. So in order to dive in, let's go back to the beginning in Genesis. So. Genesis, for anybody who might not know, is the first book of the Bible, and it tells the creation story as we have it. It shows us the first two humans and the first sin. For those who might not know the story, the long and short of it is that their names were Adam and Eve. They lived in a garden paradise on earth where God's presence was so close that he would walk alongside them. And the only thing he told them not to do was to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, that's exactly what they did. In response, however, after God asks for them and listens to them tell him what happened, God not only sends them out of the garden into the world, but he also curses the earth so that only in pain and toil would humanity eat the food from it. And the part that I wanna highlight here is that in this first story where the first sin comes up, one of the first things that we see is that the sin, which is the action of Adam and Eve, affects not just Adam and Eve, but it actually affects the whole of creation. Did you know that? That the world that we live in is affected by sin and it's not just something that we carry ourselves. So, sin, it seems, not only affected the individuals, but the whole creation as well. Paul, in another one of his books, in the book of Romans, Chapter 8, verses 20 to 21, Paul tells us, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now, while there's a lot to unpack there, what I want you to see is that both Genesis and Paul show how sin affects not just people, but it also affects the rest of creation. Back again in Romans, but a little earlier on, at chapter five and verse 12, Paul talks about how sin entered the world through one man, which of course he means Adam, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. So with this, we have a sort of active passive element going on here. It seems the way that Paul presents it here, that sin entered the world by way of Adam and Eve's sinful action. Now that it is here, it brought with it death, and sin and death are in the world. 
Does that mean that everybody has to sin and it's outside of our own ability to act? Absolutely not. Our responsibility is totally left intact. But it does mean that the world that we live in is no longer the garden. We shouldn't expect that obedience to God is our default mode. And I think when we do, when we forget that that's the case, that's the first step in the missteps that are to come. The world that we live in is broken. And when we forget that that brokenness is a deep and real part of it, I think that it's too easy to expect that the world is just easier and nicer and more beautiful because the reality is that so much of it is really beautiful. So much of it is so good and a fair amount of it is quite easy, especially for us here in the West. But in a really deep and important way, sinfulness has come into the world, death has come into the world, and this brokenness has come into the world in a way that has gone straight into its DNA. And so we have to contend with that fact it means that the world that we live in is no longer the garden. We shouldn't expect that the obedience to God is our default mode, but we have to contend with the fact that sin is a part of the nature of the world that we live in, which means that it is a part of our nature too. Sorry, I didn't mean to be so doom and gloom this whole time. I promise you we're getting to Jesus and we will come to a place where all of this is made sense in a really beautiful way that we can all celebrate. Um, so, please stay with me through this tension because I promise you it's good tension. So the picture that the Bible gives us then is that sin is this ambiguous force of effectively of brokenness that was not a part of the world until Adam and Eve first sinned or when they first disobeyed God. But after this first sin, it was as if the seal was cracked. Sin entered the world and sin came with death and the two ran rampant throughout the world. Coming back to Romans, I love Romans. Paul talks about sin as if it is a tyrant slave master who makes slaves out of anyone who follows him. That's some pretty gnarly stuff. Um, But I think that you can really sense that it really isn't far off from that. If we take a moment to think about a real life circumstance, and I think a really apt one is addiction, really of any kind, we can catch a sense of how slippery some of these slopes can be and how people can grow to become slaves of their own desires, not, no longer really following them because they want to, but because they have to. And now, of course, addiction is a very complicated topic, and I'm not suggesting at all that all addiction is a product of an individual sin, but as we have seen, the brokenness that is in the world can be biblically characterized by sin, and its culmination is death itself. And so in this way, I think it's important to recognize that addiction as an example of the brokenness that we see in the world is not a part, I think we can all agree that addiction is not a good part of the world, right? So that we can call it a product of sin and as sinful. And as soon as we chuck it into that category, and as soon as we recognize that sin is this brokenness, it is this big, huge category that is a huge and deep and rich part of the world around us, When we start talking about Jesus, what he has done, the fact that he has defeated sin, I think it tends to take our eyes, yes, definitely on ourselves, see the way that he saved us from sin, but see the way that he saves the world, you know? This is such a rich and beautiful picture that we're getting to, but we're getting there, so I'm getting ahead of myself. So sin and death came into the world through Adam and Eve's sin. And as they came into the world, they came to characterize the brokenness that we see in our world today on a daily basis. 
Now, God is the creator of all things. There's not a single thing that exists that isn't his. Like, nothing. And we know that he is the source of goodness and of life itself, having brought life to all living creatures and creating them to live in perfect harmony with him. If sin is a matter of disobedience to God, it means that it is a matter of turning away from him and a turning towards something else, therefore. But the question is, what would that something else be? What could you possibly turn to if you were turning away from the one who is the source of all things? In a sense, what you're turning away towards is nothing. It's a lack. And more specifically, it is death, the lack of life. So we've already talked about sin's close association with death, and this is how that comes together. If sin is turning away from God, then it is an ultimately a turning towards death. Are you still with me? Cool, cool, cool. I know that that's a lot of stuff, and I know that that is as like deep and as heavy as it is, but I do really think that the lives that we live have a lot of this deep difficulty with them. And I think that as a church, if we can't talk about some of this stuff here, then where, where do we? If we can't talk about the depths of the hardships of life and the reality that that stuff is, name whatever it is that's going on in your life. I think it's important to bring it up. I think it's important to talk about it. And I think it's important to dive into some of the stuff that can get a little bit hairy so that we can get to know the redemption that is ours in Jesus Christ and to start taking that just a little bit more seriously and a little bit more seriously and watch the way that Christ's blood over each and every one of us actually changes our lives. So now that we spent all that fun time in sin, um, let's go back to Ephesians 5, 1 to 7. So I'm gonna read this again and then we're gonna dive into it a little bit more. So Paul says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So coming back to what I've already said about this, it's split up into these two parts that we can see. The first two verses where Paul commands us to follow God's example and to live as dearly loved children and to walk in love. The second half, the five verses, are what not to do as a Christian, basically. And as such, again, they act as the two sides of the same coin, the positive followed by the negative. So right off the bat, we can see that if we're gonna walk in love as Christians, we're gonna have to say goodbye to sinful things. Now, diving a little bit further into this, 
Paul clearly expects that Christians chase after Christ with serious devotion. Consider for a moment what he's asking here. The first two verses ask that followers of Christ live lives of love that are characterized by Christ's own sacrifice. Like, this is the positive side of these seven verses. And he goes, live in love, walk in love, just like Christ did. And it doesn't take a heck of a lot of reflection to see and to remember where Christ ended up. Like, we, I think, are the only religion in the world that serves a crucified God. I think that that's something that is worth remembering. And so, what Paul is saying is, we are to live lives where we walk in love just like Christ loved us. He's saying that we have to be ready to sacrifice and to live these lives of sacrifice before Christ and for other people. And then we get to the negative side of it where he tells us not to sin and he says not even a hint. Now, it's important I think it's important to say and to make perfectly clear that when Paul talks about here, the, um, when Paul talks about anybody who is impure, immoral, or greedy, that they don't have any place in, he- in the kingdom of heaven, um, he's not talking about anybody who just fails. He's talking about people who fail and unrepentantly fail, who are case like who do this stuff so much that they are characterized by their own sin. So we're not talking about people who stumble because we, we all stumble. That is exactly why Christ came to clear over this stuff so that we might turn to him. Um, but nevertheless, what he's talking about is pretty intense. Not even a hint of any of this stuff. That's super hard. I don't know if any of you guys have tried to think about living even just a perfect like hour let alone a perfect day. Oh my gosh. And when you go back to Jesus talking about the stuff on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the, on the one hand, there's actions that we're talking about, but it's also friggin' thoughts. It's also about intentions. All of this stuff that is deep in us, you know, to not sin, even to have a friggin' hint of it, that is a huge thing to do. And so, in a sense, it kind of feels like Paul is giving us this and going, right, okay, great. Thanks, Paul. So just walk in love, live a life where we're prepared to sacrifice our lives for for everybody. And don't do any of the stuff that we do on a super regular basis. Got it. Thank you. Um, I think part of the point of this and how intense it is, is that, um, well, it's obvious, I think, that we can't do it on our own. Like, even if we go to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking to every, all of his followers, and he actually says in a point, Matthew 5, 48, um, if you're like me, it's something that has, is super easy to gloss over and then it hits you on in a moment. But Jesus goes as far as telling his disciples to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so how the heck are we supposed to live up to this standard? We're living in a life that, as we've just spent this amount of time talking about, that is broken. And we are so deeply broken ourselves. And this, this tension, this impossibility, this inevitable, this that we fight with every single day, this is exactly where Jesus' redemption comes in. 
what we can't do, Jesus has already done. And that is a huge part of the gospel message. I think way, way, way too easily, we start to little bit by little bit take this stuff into our own hands. I don't know, maybe you're different from me, but I certainly like to think that I can do a lot on my own. That, you know, if I just act a certain way, if I just like, I can muscle up and I can do it myself and I can do it different this time and I'm gonna look at me doing all this stuff. Thank you, God, I, I can do this myself. But the point that Paul emphasizes here and throughout Romans, like I was talking about earlier, is that he says, when it comes to brass tacks, we're capable of doing very much, but we're not capable of living to the standard that we've been called to, which is being right with God, being totally right with the one who is perfectly holy and good and beautiful and all things right. Like, Jesus came not just to go, yeah, like be encouraged while you're through here, you know what I mean? You'll get to the other side at some point in time. He came to get rid of all of this stuff, absolutely all of it. And we, each and every one of us here today, we have every opportunity at any time of the day to choose between death and to choose between life, just as Moses talked about. Um, and I think a lot of the severity here is really important to remember because it is Christ who has done it. And I think that too often the pains and the hurts that we feel come from feeling like we can do it in our own strength. And what if we have a God who has already taken care of all of this? What if all of the difficulties that we experience, all of the insecurities, all of the hardships, all of the things we'll feel bad about, all of the guilt, all of the shame, what if genuinely all of that stuff is already on Christ's shoulders? What a shame, what a shame to think that, oh, we can keep carrying this stuff, you know? Oh, it, it's fine, I've done it for a while, I can keep going. And I think that that starts with taking some of this stuff seriously so that we can see the brightness and the beauty and the glory of what Christ has done because he shed his blood and he was God incarnate, you know? He died on a cross that was horrific and rough and awful and it's something that we all get to participate in because it means our redemption. So this is exactly where Jesus's redemption comes in. What we can't do, Jesus has already done and this is the gospel, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for our sins so that we might be sinless before God in his name totally redeemed and not separated from him at all. And that's the crux. Talking again about how sin is that separation, that turning away from God that is a matter of death, that he broke that dividing line and said, you're mine, you're entirely mine. It is because of Christ and what he has done in our lives that we can look at our own iniquity straight in the eye, including whatever guilt and whatever shame may come with it. It's because of what Christ has done and if, because of the love in his eyes, the fact that he sees everything that we've done. He sees us straight through all of it, absolutely all of it, and that he still accepts us and he still offers his love to us. It is because of Christ that we can look at our own selves in the mirror, that we can take seriously what it is that we have done and that we can leave it before God and that we can walk away from the cross, joyful and light, knowing that every sin 
that that very sin that Jesus himself already died for, that when he was on that cross, he already knew about what you and I were going to do and he already took care of it. By receiving the love of Christ through the redemption of his blood, we are made into God's children who knowing God's love and being filled with his spirit, walk in love every day, placing not our strength, but our weakness before God and allowing him to do the heavy lifting. After all, love is a fruit of the spirit, which means that we don't grow it ourselves, but that the Holy Spirit in us grows it himself. Can we sit in that for a sec? For anybody who might be feeling burdened or might be feeling tired from trying to do well, from trying to carry themselves in the ways that they just want to, you know? We all wanna be right, we all wanna do good. So, like I said earlier, the last thing that I wanna talk about is a practical thing that we can all walk away with. And that practical thing is a matter of prayer. And what I would love to encourage us all to do is to step, to not be afraid of this tension. I know that this has been a little bit morose and I'm sorry for not having more nice, fun and uplifting stories to lighten the mood. Um, but I know that this is a tension that we all encounter in one way or another in our lives. And I know that it's something that is super easy to just avoid day after day and to try not to think too seriously about it. So one of the coolest things that I think that we've been given is the gift of prayer. And the fact that Jesus himself gave us a framework for prayer of how to go about it and very sweetly tucked into that prayer, which is the Lord's prayer. Very sweetly tucked into it is this bit where he tells us regularly to get on our knees before God and to ask him to forgive us. And I think that if we can learn this, if we can regularly approach God and bring our own iniquity to the table, that that begins to be a table where we begin to learn some of the depth of the love of God and what he's done in our lives. And as we begin to learn that, and as we begin to see the way that he treats us, see the way that he loves us through all of this, that he builds us up, he grows us again by his spirit. The things that we have spent so much time in the past and so much effort trying to do on our own strength, he does in a moment because he's our creator. He knows what we're created for and he gives us everything that we need in Jesus Christ. And so this table that is set in prayer um, I think that that is a, basically like a tool on our belt that is indispensable. And so I wanna talk about that for a sec. Um, so talking about prayer and talking about um, asking God to forgive our debt, we're talking about repentance. And talk about repentance, I was given a very, what I found to be a very helpful image from one of my old profs, and he described, so for those who are in Christ who have been redeemed, we go through baptism. And among other things, baptism is a picture of us going through water, going into water and coming back out. And as we come back out, we're totally clean. 
crystal clear, white as snow, baby. Hallelujah. Right? But at the same time, we know that when we come out on the other side of that, we, it's not like, okay, congratulations, now we're in heaven. Things are perfect, you won't mess up. We still live in the world that we do. And we know that following Christ is a journey. And we know that it's a journey that he takes each and every one of us on and that requires his mercies that are new every day. And so what he described, what my professor described was, the baptism is the full cleansing. We do that once, we have that cleansing full stop. But still as we walk around our daily life, our feet get a little bit dirty. We still make mistakes here and there. And as our feet get dirty, the practice of repentance is coming to Christ and asking him to wash our feet for us. And we know, we know that he's, I mean, we know that he's good for it because he's already cleaned us entirely. And we know that he's cleaned us entirely so we don't have to come back to him in a way that is wailing over, that is unsure about his goodness. And so this picture of the baptism as the full clean and repentance as the cleaning up of the dusty feet is one that I think is really helpful. So with that in mind, what I would love to encourage everybody to do is to pray the Lord's Prayer, even if it's like, man, even if it's just for 30 seconds in a day, ideally for a little bit longer, but even if it's just 30 seconds, because it contextualizes all of this stuff so well, and we could spend so much time talking about the Lord's Prayer in other ways. But again, focusing on this little bit, forgive us our debts. So for anybody who's interested, the prayer is found in Matthew chapter six, verses nine to 13, and it goes, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Within this, focusing on the forgive our debts, as we pray the Lord's Prayer every day, it provides a perfect context and opportunity for us to consider our own sins before God, to lay them at his feet. And this is a really important part, to leave them there. Essentially, there are two main pitfalls that I have certainly known and that I've seen in when it comes to repentance. The first is disregarding God's holiness, which is a huge part of why I've spent this amount of time talking about sin, because I think that's super easy. When we disregard God's holiness, we don't take sin seriously. And because we don't take sin seriously, we don't take Christ's redemption seriously. Usually, practically speaking, it ends up looking like making excuses for our behavior. The second is disregarding God's grace. And this is what we do when we refuse to let go of our sin. When we, feel like it, when we feel like it's so bad, like our sin is so bad that we have to carry it ourselves and keep feeling bad about it. Usually this ends up looking like self-pity and self-loathing even. And I know that this gets into some difficult territory as if this hasn't been difficult enough territory all night. And I know the feelings that come around that are huge and they can be really overwhelming. But if we're to take Christ's redemption seriously, we have to come to terms with the fact that he died so that we, by his infinite grace, would be free from sin regardless, entirely regardless of how big 
or how little it is. Remember, we are reading Paul. Paul is the one who's been talking to us this whole night. And he who wrote Ephesians before he was a Christian, he ruthlessly persecuted and killed Christians. Like maybe there's people here tonight who've done worse than that. I really doubt it. Thank you. <laughs> um, but if Christ is by his redemption is able to turn that around, if he covers over that by his blood, 100% he's got you covered. And so we know that if, he, if his blood is as good as he says that it is, if it is as good to cover over all of the sin that we have known in the world, then it is good to cover over yours. And so we know that when we approach the, the table of repentance, it isn't a matter of just squeezing, out, squeezing ourselves and making ourselves feel bad for the things that we feel like we've done. It's a matter of looking that stuff square in the eye, taking it seriously and recognizing that we aren't even to have a hint of it laying that before God, effectively apologizing and going, thank you, Jesus, that you redeem me, that you give me the chance to turn away from this so I don't have to wear the weight of this on my shoulders. Hallelujah, that's, that's the joy of our salvation that we have set before us. Like that is something that if we can grab a hold of friends, that is something that will not only enable us to have so much joy and fervor and life, guys, but in a super practical way, it'll also make us the friggin' best apologizers in the world. You know what I mean? Like, how many times have you had somebody apologize to you poorly by saying like, oh, you, like, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm sorry that you felt that way about a response you had or something like that, kind of putting the blame back on you. And I don't have any other examples off the top of my head, so maybe not a good example. But the point being that as far as practical situations that come, this is something that will enable us to build bridges with people. When we're able to take responsibility for our own stuff, recognize what that is, to apologize, to know that it's done in its severity with Christ, then we can turn to our people, the people in our world, and go, man, if Christ already dealt with that, like, if I can apologize to God with all the depth of all that stuff, I can turn to my friends, I can turn to my loved ones, because I know that I'm already cared for. I know that I'm already accepted. I don't have to fear being rejected, though of course that hurts. But I don't have to fear anything because God already accepts me totally. He's covered over all this stuff. And he asks me to love people, so 100% I can do that. Christ is in me, his Holy Spirit is in me. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna try to make reparations if I've done things poorly with other people. I'm gonna build bridges and little by little through that process, we see Jesus Christ by his spirit uh, forming love in us, producing that fruit. And we see his kingdom come in our world through each and every one of us as we're transformed into his sons and in his daughters who know his love for him and who know that love so deep that it just pours out because that's what it does. This is walking in love. And this is why I think it's as important to talk about all of this stuff that sits on the other side of it, partially because Paul does, absolutely. But because when we deal with this stuff, when we obey Christ, when we actually take this stuff seriously, it puts us in the position to take Christ's redemption seriously. And when we take Christ's redemption seriously, then holy smokes, we've got the life of Jesus Christ. We've got the life of the Spirit in us. And the life of the Spirit is the one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's the one that trampled over the sin and trampled over the grave. Jesus himself told us that we are gonna do more than he did 
What a freaking crazy thing. That's unreal. So anyways, I, like, one of the things that I, I think that I would like to leave here with is if nothing else, be like, think about what the cap is, you know? We all again have the opportunity to say yes or to say no to whatever it is that we want. If we want God to have this amount of our lives, then we can do that. If we want God to have this amount of our lives, we can do that. But if we know that Jesus Christ is who he says that he is, if we know that he covers over everything that we've done, why, and if we know that on the other side of that, he, that he's the source of the life that we have, you know? If he's the one who tramples over death and all this stuff, why on earth would we stop with this? Why on earth would we be content with something that is smaller when we have the bounty, the riches that Christ has set before us? And he basically goes, this is yours if you want it. I'm asking you to come to me. I'm asking you to lay down your life before me. And this is what it looks like. I need you to take this stuff seriously. But when you take this stuff seriously, I freaking promise you, I take that, I cover over that, and I give you back a renewed life. I renew you bit by bit. And it's a humble process. And again, it's a journey. There's no cutting corners. But he transforms us from the inside out and turns us into people that we never freaking dreamed that we could be. I know it's a super, super, super minor example, and so I don't mean to sh like cast shade on that, but personally speaking, the I feel like the fact that I'm up here, despite the fact that I'm speaking about super morose stuff, I feel like the fact that I'm up here is a testament to that. I, man, I, let me tell you, five years ago, I tried, I was asked to speak in front of a whole bunch of people. I held the mic about this far away. I spoke about as quietly as I could. Half the room heard me, and I got off of the stage as quickly as I could. That, like, dude, for me, being able to do this is just a little part of that walking this stuff out because God is good. And again, I know that that's a super, super, super small thing, but the small things add up. And I know that as a young man who's committed to journeying with Christ, I know that I am excited to see what is ahead of me because I know that God is faithful. I know that he's good. I know that he covers over everything and so I know that what's in front of me is better than what's behind me. Hallelujah, right? So can I encourage us today? Let's think about taking some of this stuff seriously. Let's think about what repentance looks like in our daily lives. And let's think about it in terms of learning the joy of repentance because God is so good. And in every moment, he covers over all of that bad stuff. And he brings us in and he deals with it and he brings us life and love and the fullness so that we can do what we've been called to, which is walk in love. So if I could get the band to come back, um, I'd love to finish off in a quick little prayer. So if you would bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for being so good. Thank you for giving us your son. For while we were still sinners, Lord God, you sent him so that it wouldn't be about us, so that it wouldn't be about anything that we could possibly do, any strength that we could muster together, but that in our own weakness, God, that you would be made strong, that you would be glorified, that you would have your will. And we thank you, Lord God, for being such a good God that your will is so perfect and pleasing and good. We thank you that what you have ahead of us is better than what you've, we have behind. And we thank you that you are so worthy of trust.
so worthy of our faith and so worthy of chasing. So would you transform us, Lord God? Would you show us what you want us to do? Would you reveal yourself to us as we come to you repentantly? And would you transform us from the inside out? In your holy, holy, good name,